You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. My name is Christian Corley and with me is Ben Stegner. And we are here to bring you some of the most recent tech news that you need to know about but isn't sort of nerdy geeky stuff. And some tips and tricks. And we'll also bring you some recommendations of things that you might like to check out uh, next time you're in front of a computer or a phone or whatever. Uh, we're going to get straight into this week's show Ben, because i see that microsoft are doing one of those things that people always are suspicious that microsoft might do and planning to force adverts into file explorer on windows 11. now they've kind of done stuff like this in the past with the uh start menu in windows 8.1 i think didn't they yeah it's they've crammed the ads in a couple different places um there were ads for office there were ads for OneDrive, and I think if you installed a certain browser, like if you installed Chrome, you'd see a little pop-up that said, Edge is a better browser for Windows, so mm. they've experimented with this in several places in the past. Bleeping Computer reported that an insider tester, that's a Windows insider tester, noticed new ad banners appearing in File Explorer, and File Explorer is that thing on Windows that you use to view your documents, uh, check your music files, save your video files, look at your pictures, that's... that's file explorer it, shows you, it lets you explore the files on your computer basically yeah it's something probably everybody uses at some point even if it's just opening up to grab something you downloaded i, mean, I imagine most people have to use it at some point even if you're not like an advanced computer user who's organizing yeah. your files you're going to use it to open up something um if this is something where they have it on by default and you can turn it off annoying but they've done it before there's precedent I wish it was off by default, but then nobody would turn it on. <laughs> so Microsoft wouldn't want that. Now, it's possible that this only applies to Windows 10 upgraders, isn't it? But even so, there's still a big license paid out for using Windows. And it's, it just feels a bit grubby, doesn't it? Yeah, it's people have said this before that, you know, Windows costs money in most cases. So you're paying to use the operating system and then seeing ads is just kind of slimy. It's yeah. kind of the expectation people have where, you know, you pay for Netflix, you don't see ads, you watch a free movie service, ads are kind of acceptable because you're getting it for free. So yeah. it, it feels kind of scummy to have this shoved in. You wouldn't expect to see similar ads on a Mac. Exactly. Oh, good call. Good call. We will move on to ClipChamp. This is, again, it's Windows. It's video editing software that is pre-installed with Windows 11 that apparently everyone hates. On March the 10th, Microsoft announced that two apps were on their way to Windows 11 and you would have no choice as to whether they're installed. One of them is Microsoft Family, or the latest version of that, and the other one is ClipChamp. Uh, they're known as inbox apps because they come with Windows 11, quote, in the box. Uh, there is a Reddit thread dedicated to uh, ClipChamp called Does Anyone Else Think ClipChamp is Garbage? And Windows 11 users apparently have come out in force to wear their grievances over this new app. I'm going to obviously have to defer to Ben here because I use uh, Linux. I use uh, Ubuntu 21.10. So I haven't seen this on Windows and I haven't got Windows 11 on my Windows computer yet. Well, as I talked about a week or two ago, I just built a new computer and put Windows 11 on it. Uh, I just searched, and I don't see this software. Okay. This article was published four days ago at the time of our recording this, and I don't see it. So 
either it's only for brand new installs or it's rolling out. Um, I'm not familiar with ClipChamp. I see the website. It says we're now part of Microsoft, so maybe they were just bought by them. Yeah. Um, but from what I'm seeing, the the free plan only lets you export in 480p. It's nine dollars a month if you want to export in 720, yeah. or nineteen dollars a month and, for 1080. And it's 2022. Export in 480p. Right. What? Yeah, that's uh, not great. It's not 1998. So I think that this. <laughs> That'd be not too bad for that. Um, yeah, I think that it's it's kind of the same trend of people always have this idea that the default apps that come with Windows are just so better replaced by something else. So uh-huh. this kind of falls into that. You can install VideoPad. I've used that, and it works pretty well for free. Or DaVinci Resolve for something more dynamic if you're a better video editor than I am. But yeah, I don't know why you'd want to use this. I can see like kids using it to make like their summer video recap or something but other than that not great that's i um, i um it's it's a potato video editor surely this is insane yeah i, I mean it doesn't i don't know how much of this is true now but i know like years ago people always used to say like the default apps on a mac kind of make it worth getting like people yeah. liked the iWork suite or iMovie and all that stuff so sure. it, you think Microsoft would spend its time buying companies that have products that can make Windows 10 and 11 better you know like oh I'm excited to yeah, get yeah. Windows 11 because it has a great video editor built in not this crap Jez Corden at Windows Central has called the app underbaked and overpriced I would suggest that is underbaked potato we will move on. Uh, DuckDuckGo has gone a bit crazy with its new stance on search results. Uh, it's it's tried to do the right thing, and I think it's got it very wrong. I'm not alone in this. Basically, DuckDuckGo has announced that it is going to downrank websites associated with what it calls, quote, unquote, Russian disinformation following the ongoing war in Ukraine. A lot of users are unhappy about this. I am one of them. Gabriel Weinberg stated on twitter on march 10th like so many others i am sit like so many others i am sickened by russia's invasion of ukraine and the gigantic humanitarian crisis it continues to create hashtag stand with ukraine at duckduckgo we've been rolling out search updates at downrank sites associated with russian disinformation now on the face of it that might sound absolutely fine it sounds a nice thing to do but unfortunately it's number one in my opinion is at odds with DuckDuckGo's philosophy and number two it's at odds with DuckDuckGo's philosophy <laughs> there was a number two but it's escaped my brain a lot of users from DuckDuckGo are unhappy about this there is this idea that DuckDuckGo results should be unbiased and obviously this isn't the case with this there's this um DuckDuckGo set up as an alternative to google and google does give you biased search results and people can buy influence through search you know you promoted things at the uh, top of the search engine results page for example and DuckDuckGo doesn't have any of that and for DuckDuckGo to be influencing search results in this way has upset a lot of people uh, ben have you got any thoughts on this yeah um I agree with you that this kind of goes against DuckDuckGo's mission. I mean, their argument that one of their software engineers or something said, um, a user responded and said, what do you mean by unbiased result? 
and then the staff member said everybody gets the same results they're not based on anything related to your personal info so they're still claiming that the unlike google what you're seeing isn't based on what the search engine knows about you yeah however i still have an issue with the company deciding what's disinformation and this is a larger conversation we don't have to get into now but that was my second point thank you trusting any large company like this to decide what's disinformation is a dangerous precedent i think um i mean like i said there's there's irony with DuckDuckGo where they say we're gonna let all voices be here we're not gonna filter what you see and then as soon as something happens that they don't like which obviously i'm not saying what's happening is terrible so it's it's obvious to not like it but what happens in the future when you're the one they don't like and they're going to filter stuff about you or whatever you know so i think letting these big companies decide what disinformation is is a dangerous precedent i guess if that's the right way to phrase it yeah it's uh i mean it's a slippery slope it's also well it's also treats the people that are using those services with as if they're a bit stupid yeah, it's, I agree. Which is not a good business model. Hello, idiots. This is what we're dictating for you today. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that they've taken this stance. To be honest with you, and then doubled down on, doubled down on it in the way that they have. It really isn't really um, becoming. Yeah, it's like we, I, I get it. Like you want. They have this position where they want to be able to filter out obvious falsehoods. And a lot of people don't look into what they find online. Yeah. So they figure if they just filter it, we don't have to pe- worry about people forwarding it and all that stuff. But I don't know. I, I would like to think that with a conflict ongoing like this, when you land on a Russian-sponsored website, you know that it's going to be biased towards the Russian perspective. I don't think most people would find that a surprise. No. So I, don't really I mean, certainly if it ends you or it's got Russia today embedded in it, or even, I guess, if it's kind of pro-Russia in a particular way, then it's kind of obvious. But again, at the same time, using a service like DuckDuckGo, you've already taken steps to want to be more discerning with your search results. So, and, and, you know, and feel that you have the required nuance news i should say to spot the nuances between uh disinformation and information so duck duck goes really letting itself down with this by implying that its users aren't able to use critical faculty to spot the fake news it's it's very surprising really. that's a good point that people that are using duck duck go in the first place have already shown that they want to escape the filter bubble or whatever you want yeah. to call it that Google and provides. So yeah. its users should be one step ahead of this. You're right. Okay. We're going to move on now. We have a bunch of tips and tricks that we would like to share with you. I remember the first time I got a PC and I wanted a word processor and we were fortunate. It was a family computer. We had an old version of Microsoft Works, uh, which came with this Windows 95 computer for free. So we had um, Word Processor and uh, uh, Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel and probably one or two other applications with it. Um, A few years later, I got my own computer and I thought, I'm going to buy Word. 
I discovered that Word was like £80 on it, just on its own. And things haven't really changed these days. Microsoft Word will cost a bit of money to get on its own or as part of a package, but you don't actually have to pay really to use it, do you? No, you don't. Uh, I think this is better known than when I first wrote about this, um, but I recently updated this article. Office Online is a really great alternative mm -hmm. to the desktop Office apps. If you don't need the advanced features of them, it works really well and it can save you a bunch of money. Um, so I've covered a couple good reasons to use them. The biggest one is that it's free. Um, you don't have to pay a subscription. You don't have to pay a one-time fee. It's been free for years and should be that way to, uh, going forward. Um, that's in contrast to buying a standalone version of Office, which can cost you at least $100, or subscribing to Microsoft 365, which is at least $7 a month. Um, Office Online is totally free. Um, if you haven't used it, it's basically just a cloud-based version of these apps. So you go to Office Online, sign in with your Microsoft account, and then you have Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and then some other ones like there's a web version of Outlook, and then a couple others, Forms, I think, not as popular. Um, Publisher is the main omission if you use that. But they're all cloud-based, so you can save your documents to OneDrive and then access them in other places. Um, it's really easy to share with people. So if you've used Google Docs, it's like that. You can make a link, share it with the whole internet or people that you choose, and then they can collaborate, edit it if you let them. Um, and the workflow is a little bit simplified too. So it doesn't have as many advanced features. So if you use those features, these apps might not work for you. But if you don't like all the advanced macros and all the million toolbar options, these slimmed down versions will be a little bit uh, simpler for you. Okay. And the big benefit of using Office Online over buying a standalone version of Office is that Office Online does get updates to its features. Um, so in the article, I link to a page that Microsoft has where they tell you what they've updated each month in Office Online. When you buy the standalone version of Office, it's basically just whatever Office 365 has at that time. And then every three or four years, Microsoft offers a new version, but they don't really prioritize that now because they want you to subscribe so by using office online you're at least getting new features more often without paying for them okay that's uh i mean it's a good tip i've, I've used office online a few times i've been surprisingly uh impressed is probably a better word as to how it's how it was to start off with and how it's uh, evolved as well over the past sort of five or six years yeah, it doesn't feel like a second-rate product. It feels like something you could use if it's enough for you. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Microsoft abandoned it or anything like that. Well, they've got form. Symbols are everywhere. Letters are symbols, numbers are symbols, symbols are symbols on your keyboard. Well, how would you recognize them? And how do you identify what they actually mean? Ben, this is like the coolest thing I've seen in ages on the internet. How to... Six ways to find symbols and look up symbol meanings. I didn't know you were so excited about symbols. This article sounds so interesting. <laughs> yeah, so there are a lot of symbols that we see online and offline, really. You know, um, it could be a character you're not familiar with or just a sign in a store or something. Um, so there are a bunch of websites to help you find symbols. 
So one of my favorites is symbols.com where you can just type in a word or if maybe you kind of have an idea what it is or you want to remember what the symbol for trademark or kosher or something looks like. So um, you can search for something and it'll show you matching symbols and tell you a little bit about how they're used. Um, there's also called a graphical index section if you're looking to find a symbol by what it looks like and can't remember the name of it. So you can say like it's closed or open or it doesn't have color or that kind of thing mm -hmm. that should help you. And you, you can also search by currency signs, warning symbols, things like that if you have an idea what it is. Um, if you can't find what you want on there, there are also sites that let you draw a symbol to figure out what its meaning is. Yeah, uh, Shape Catcher enough. is probably one of my favorite of these. So this is really cool. Just with your mouse or with your finger if you're on your phone, you just draw the symbol and then it'll match what it thinks the symbol you typed is. It gives you a score based on how close it is. And then you can use it to find the symbol there. So th that's great if you can't uh, type it out in the yeah. name. You can just search for it that way. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, and there, there's a couple other ways. Those are the two best, I think. Um, obviously, if you can copy and paste the symbol, you can just search it with Google. Most symbols are embedded in Unicode, so they're copyable just like a regular alphabet letter is. So if you search for it on Google, you'll probably find what that symbol means. And there are other lists too, but those are the best ones. The full list of uh, ways that you can find symbols and find out what they mean, you'll find in our show notes, along with everything else that we've discussed in this week's really useful podcast. If you're building a home theater PC, you may know that there used to be a thing called Windows Media Center Edition, which was really cool. And it was probably the best way in its time for running a home theater PC or a HTPC. These days, Linux is the better option, although it is under some stiff competition from Android. Early in the days of uh, using Linux as a home theater PC, um, there was a thing called Kodi Ubuntu, which was basically the Kodi media center software combined with the Ubuntu operating system for Linux. Over the years, things have changed somewhat, but mostly uh, they rely on Kodi. There are six ways that you can install a Linux Media Center distro or distribution on operating system. They're nearly all Kodi based, as I mentioned, but they're all for certain uh, slightly different uh, scenarios. So, for example, you might use software called LibreELEC, and that will work on a standard computer or laptop or an older Apple uh, prior to the M1 chips. Core ELEC. However, similar software, but you can only use it on Amlogic processors. So things that essentially are Android TV boxes, basically. There's RetroPie, which was intended for the Raspberry Pi, but it's also available for standard computers, 64-bit uh, computers. You've also got OSMC, again, initially intended for Raspberry Pi, will also work on a Apple TV One, the original Apple TV box. There's LinHES, which is the Linux Home Entertainment System. Or you could just build your own by installing a standard Linux operating system and then installing Kodi on the top of it. It's cool, I think, that there are so many options now. In the old days, it used to be everything was for the 32-bit or 64-bit type systems only. There weren't any options for ARM systems like the Raspberry Pi or those Android TV boxes. 
however now there are so that's that's really good it is a smaller list than previously i've just updated this and i've found uh, that a lot of projects have uh, fallen by the wayside uh, but it's good to see that there's still a good collection of tools for building a uh, media center with linux yeah it is a shame when you go to update a list like this and you realize that it's not quite as widespread as it used to be but it's good that there's still a scene for it and good options yeah sure. definitely definitely <laughs> We're going to move on now to our recommendations. This is the part of the really useful podcast just before we finish talking in which we share with you something that we have enjoyed over the past few days, which is almost always uh, electronic based, either some sort of streaming media or a TV show or YouTube channel, you know, that kind of thing it might be a video game. It might be an app. It might be a piece of uh, tech hardware. Uh, ben, I'm going to let you go first. Well, I'm going first. Okay. Okay, so this week I wanted to highlight a show that I watched on it was on Netflix US. I think it's on Amazon Prime, um, so I'm not sure exactly where else it is. But that with that caveat, it is called Imposters. Uh, it is a I guess you'd call it like a dark comedy. Uh, it centers around a, a female con artist who plays long cons with people, where she marries them and then stays with them for a little bit and then runs away with all their money. Whoa! And then leaves them a note saying you know, hey, I conned you, like, don't try to find me. So it's it really surprised me. It came up on Netflix just kind of out of nowhere, and I decided to watch it and loved it from the beginning, grabs you from the beginning, and is a really good ride. It's only two seasons with 10 episodes each, so it doesn't last super long, but it's really, really good. It A lot of twists, and it changes, so it's not just the same thing the whole time. Um, the three main characters have really good chemistry. It's funny, but it's not like... Uh, laugh a minute sitcom kind of thing where it's constantly trying to make you laugh um yeah good suspense so it's excellent if you're it doesn't take itself too seriously so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in i totally loved it i wish there was more so i'd strongly recommend that imposters on netflix excellent um this is going to be like the um the, the couch potato really useful podcast because i also have a tv show that i discovered on the streaming service uh, to recommend uh, the show in question is the British slash English language version of Murder in Provence, which is based on uh, some French books, as I understand it, and a French TV show on series of movies. Uh, it stars an actor called Roger Allen, who he's got one of those voices and faces that you might recognise. He was in the first series of Game of Thrones, and he plays a character called Antoine Verlac who is an investigating judge in Ayon Provence in the south of France and he lives with his or he works with his partner Maureen Bonnet and they investigate murders and mysteries in the dark underbelly of their idyllic home in the south of France and it's kind of very much it's different to your usual British or American uh, procedurals because the procedure is completely different so he basically his role is to decide on lines of inquiry rather than to be like the investigating detective as you would find on something like i don't know that the latest csi or the, the british show but, but what's really nice about this apart from the cinematography and the the, the the landscape and the atmosphere is the the central relationship between the two main characters is they're they're both on their second relationship they've both been previously married 
uh, he, he's a widower and she's a divorcee and she has an older she, she has a mother who he sort of uh, is a, a, they have that sort of mother-in-law uh, son-in-law sort of relationship which is a little bit sort of fractious uh, but the relationship between between the two main characters, really very different to many that you see on television because it's, it's a very sort of open sort of portrayal of people in their sort of uh, just past their middle ages going into sort of what one might call sort of like the final 30 years, complaining about aches and pains and going to the toilet several times in the middle of the night and things like that, whilst at the same time discussing, you know, the latest murder case over breakfast it's a very different show and it's just got such a nice atmosphere i was absolutely i thought it was going to be you know okay when i watched it but i was absolutely i was drawn into it and i was absolutely enthralled throughout and it's 90 it was 90 minutes long this episode i don't know if they're all 90 minutes long but the first episode certainly was and I, I, it, very enjoyable and it's, it's getting good ratings on imdb as well yeah that's doesn't sound like anything i've quite seen before so it's interesting when they can yeah. take a different angle and it's nice when something long doesn't feel long like that oh, too God, yeah yeah totally. like wow that was an hour and a half yeah totally i mean i was um kerry was getting a little bit tight because we put it on quite late and we thought it was going to going to be an hour long so i checked to see how much longer was left and it, we were at the sort of hour and 10 minutes stage i was thinking crikey i thought we were about half an hour through it um the one thing to know about it is that everyone's french in it <laughs> apart from <laughs> this is so funny so all the main actors are British, or they're from the British Isles, okay, and they speak with um, uh, British accents, mostly English, but they're all French. Anyone, who, I don't know what they're going to, when an English character comes into it, I don't know what's going to happen. Anyone who isn't French speaks with their typical sort of European accent. So, like, there's an Italian character in the first episode, and he talks with this sort of outrageous Italian accent. It was so funny. Okay. Uh, but um, I'm looking forward to see if there's any English characters in there, if they're, if they're sort of sort of uh, cheeky, Dick Van Dyke, Cockney, what have, what have you. But, um, yeah, it's a really good show. I would check it out. It's on BritBox in the UK. I'm not sure if it's on BritBox in the US or if there's any other way to uh, view it where you are. But um, I don't necessarily mean Ben there. I mean you, the listener. But, uh, yeah, I would, uh, if you can check that out, do so, because it is really good. So... That's it for this week's really useful podcast. Uh, big thanks to Ben Stegner for joining me. I will be back uh, next week with another really useful podcast. Until then, it's goodbye from us. <laughs>